It is good to be here. And when I say Pastor Kenny is my father, I say it honestly. He's been there for me almost 20 years when we met. Uh, I think um, it's Corey Tenboom who said it well. She said, every experience God gives you and every person he puts in your life is a perfect preparation for the future. Only he can see. And in the course of my life, God has brought so many people. We're able to do what we do because of people like that. And several years ago, when we started, we started with absolutely nothing. And I will share a little bit about that. But God has strategically brought people in my life, people I never knew, had no clue, like Pastor Kenny. I was praying one morning in Atlanta, Georgia, I was supposed to fly that afternoon. I woke up in the morning. I usually wake up around uh, 4 o'clock to pray, and I was sing hymns, and I felt very strongly God saying, go to the airport and catch the next flight, and I left. Uh, It was a very early morning flight, and I entered my plane. The plane sat, and I saw a bunch of, not sure whether to call them hillbillies or whatever, (laughs) a bunch (laughs) A bunch of guys just walked in, and Pastor Kenny was one of them. They were just making a bunch of noise. They were very confident, and they were talking and, you know, just making jokes. And just. And I was thinking, man, maybe they're drunk, you know. And one of them just sat by me, and that happened to be Pastor Kenny Owen. And he just wanted to talk, and I was really tired. I'd gotten up very early. It was early in the morning. And breakfast was served, you know, I, you know, in those days, in the 90s, they used to serve breakfast. They gave mine, and with a few bites, I was very hungry, I ate it. And he looked at me and said, my wife made some breakfast for me this morning. Will you like mine? I said, sure. So I ate his too, and the guy, he looked at me, and he, you know, he just wanted to talk. At the end of it, he said, what? You know, he told me he was a pastor, and he told me, what do you do? I said, well, I'm not sure what I told him, but I didn't really want to talk much. And when he was leaving, he said, when I left my church, somebody gave me money. And he said, you know, you give, I think he was going to Honduras. And he said, when you meet somebody on your mission trip, and when you meet the person, you'll know who it is, give them this. And he handed me money that day, and it was just like a million dollars. You know, to me, because in those early days, I just lived by faith, did not have anything. And he gave me his card, and he said, whenever you're coming through here, stop by. And that's how relationship began. I was passing through, I visited, and the rest is history. Through our relationship, a school has been built among the Baca Pygmies who have helped plant churches and a wide range of things when he was in Earls Grove Baptist Church. And a number of people from Earls Grove Baptist Church came to Cameroon several times. One of them is, I'm having a brain freeze now, uh, (laughs) Hendrix. Laurie, where's Laurie? Laurie Hendrix. It looks like these days I forget. Laurie is my little sister. Can you stand? (laughs) Yes. Laurie was one of the first to come, and we had a wonderful time. And then Amber there, come on, Amber Turner now, she was single then. And then we've got our papa, uh, Joel and Pat Slayton, who came, and they were here. 
Joel came, jo, we call him Joel in Cameroon, we don't say Joel. But they, he came, I think he was 72. And in, in our culture, we honor age. And when Joel came, we're having a meal. And somebody remembered he was the oldest person, so we gave him, uh, how do you call that? The gizzard. You know, so, <laughs> so, so, and I still remember it when I was driving here yesterday. I was thinking, man, I gotta bring him at Gizzard again, you know, so, uh, but I would just, it's just been a wonderful, wonderful relationship the last few years with uh, the Owens and Earls Grove Baptist Church, and we're thankful for those relationships. Everything. God does, and everything that even happens in the world happens in the context of relationships. And I'm just so thankful I can call Pastor Kenny, you know, my family. Uh, they've really been there. I, every time I visit and I'm passing through, I'll stop by, and Lynn always has a great meal for me. Uh, when I first came, I was a little skinnier than this, but uh, you can tell, you know, I've had a few good meals the last 20 years. Uh, but it's good to be here. I want to, you know, challenge you with a few a verse or two in the Bible this morning. But before then, I want to share my testimony, and and then also share a little bit about what Bread for Life does, and you know, just to give you an idea. And want to encourage you if you've never been on a short-term trip. I'm hoping in the next two years that Pastor Kenny can come. I'm a little bit jealous. He's going to Tanzania instead of Cameroon, but. I am working so that in the next two years we have a number of things prepared for him to just come maybe for a year, two years, three years, and just leave. You know? so, so we're working on that. Uh, we send containers out of Atlanta every year. Next year we'll be sending one. We'll try to send a bunch of commode that way Lane can have a place. I mean, <laughs> so we, I want to make sure before they come, we got everything together for them to be a little comfortable. So I, I'm not saying she will stay in the commode, but, you know, that way. <laughs> okay, great. Uh, so be praying for us, and if you want to be a part of that, we'll love to have you. But I want to just share my testimony uh, briefly. Uh, in our part of the world, we say Americans have watches and they don't have time. Africans don't have watches and they have all the time in the world. And so for us, time is elastic. When you say 8 o'clock, an African will be there probably about 10 o'clock or so. You know, and that's just the way we operate. We, just, we look, we're more event-oriented, not task-oriented. And so we look at more the event so Pastor Kenny has known me now. Every time I tell him I'm coming, if I say 6 o'clock, he knows to expect me at 7 or 8. He's always, Ernest, you have to be here on time. He said 6 o'clock. But that's just, and so because our time is elastic, I am going to be an African preacher today. I will keep you guys here for a little bit. Usually our services go for about 3, 5 hours. And so this is just the beginning. I'm going to keep you. Pastor Kenny told me, take your time. So, and we take things literally. So I'm going to speak for the next uh, three, four hours. Uh, generally, I know the Baptists, I mean the Methodists, are usually out of church at 12. And the buffet lines will be, you know, it will be long lines. So we'll get you out here around three so you could go straight to the buffet lines. And some of you are saying, you're going to be here by yourself. <laughs> so, no, I promise I'm going to be brave, you know. Uh, when I was in seminary, somebody gave me a verse which I'm yet to find in the Bible. But the v verse basically says, blessed are those 
who bring short messages, for they shall be invited back. So <laughs> I, I, I take that verse literally. So I'm yet to find it in the Bible, but I will, you know, just, you know. But uh, I enjoy singing hymns, you know. Almost every morning when I wake up, I wake up with a hymn in my heart. And there's something about the great hymns of the faith. There's so much depth and so much theology in there. Much as I like the contemporary songs today, I enjoy them. I began teaching my kids hymns. Almost every morning when we wake up for our devotion, we learn a new song. And my kids love it. When I'm away, they will tell their mama, can we sing one of dad's hymns? One of our favorite at home is, I serve a reason, Savior, he's in the world today. I know that he's leading whatever men may say. I see his hand of mercy, I hear his voice of cheer. And just the time I need him, he's always there. He leaves, he leaves. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. song was written by a man by the name of Alfred Aker. He was an evangelist. He was inspired to write that song after a crusade he was speaking at. He had finished speaking at an evangelistic event, and a young Jewish guy came up to him and said, Why should I serve a dead Jew? And he looked at the Jewish, that young Jewish guy. He didn't know how to respond. And he looked at him. All he could say is, son, I tell you, he leaves. He leaves. He leaves. And that evening, as he slept, he could not sleep. He just kept pondering over the words of that young Jewish guy and his response. And he was inspired to write that great hymn of the church. I serve a reason, Savior. He leaves. He leaves. He leaves. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. Another hymn I enjoy is one written by John Newton. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. John Newton was a slave trader. He was a drunk. He was a terrible sinner. You know about sailors. But somewhere along the line he encountered Jesus Christ and his life was completely changed. It's said of John Newton that each time he walked the streets of London... And we'll see another drunk. He will beat his chest and say, by grace, there go I. There go I. He was a man who truly understood the saving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And before John Newton died, he penned these words down. I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not what I hope to be. But still, I'm not what I once used to be. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. John Newton truly understood the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And his words probably sum my testimony and your testimony too. Not what we ought to be, not what we hope to be, still not what we once used to be. But by the grace of God, we are what we are. And that same grace appeared to me more than 30 years ago as a 13-year-old. I was one of the first in my village to become a Christian. I'd searched in our part of the world, I speak about 10 different languages. And so if you don't understand everything I say this morning, don't feel bad because I sometimes don't understand y'all either. Uh, but when you speak many languages, sometimes in a bit to communicate from one language to another, there's what you call translates, translation, but there's also interpretation. You know, when you do literal translation, sometimes it loses its meaning. Like in the Yoruba language, when you say, I am very happy, you say, Inu midu kupo. How many of you can say that? 
You don't want to break your jaws. <laughs> but, uh, literally translated is my intestines are very sweet. So that would not make any sense, will it? You know, so that's why you need an interpreter when you speak. So some of us, because we speak many languages, when we're trying to communicate, sometimes we say things literally. And so if I say those this morning, bear with me. Maybe after the service, come and ask me, what did you mean by this? And then I will try to rephrase it. But I became a Christian more than 30 years ago. My search began as early as I can remember. In our part of the world, People who do not believe in God are oddities. The average person grows up in our part of the world knowing there's a big God. We even have a name for him in my tribe, although we did not worship him. And that tells you something about the Bible. The Bible says God has revealed himself to every person on earth, regardless of where we are. Even among the Barker Pygmies, God has revealed himself. There's that knowledge. Romans tells us in the Romans chapter 1, that he has revealed himself through the light of creation. The whole creation speaks about him. Romans chapter 2 tells us through the light of our conscience. Our conscience regardless of where we are. And Romans chapter 3, through the light of Christ. So none of us has an excuse. And so growing up I knew there was a big God, but I did not know him. And I lived, as most of us lived in fear of the, super, the spirit world, uh, demons, spells, and all kinds of things. My mother tells me at a very young age, she had taken myself and my younger sister to a voodoo priest for amulets and other things to be put around us for protection. An amulet uh, was placed around my hand, an iron, for protection. Mine mysteriously disappeared. A few days later, she took me back, and the guy looked at me and told my mother, this is a special child, do not worry about him, he doesn't like these things. So while my sisters and others went to this voodoo priest, I never went. And so I lived in so much fear, and that's when my search for God began. I joined, as early as I remember, I saw the Islamic, uh, the Muslim religion, I joined. You know, I could recite prayer in Arabic, because the only prayer in Arabic. You know, I could say all of that, but there was no peace. I came across the Baha'i faith. I joined the Baha'i faith. It's another religion from Persia. No peace. And as I moved, my uncle moved me to another a bigger city where I joined the Catholic Church. And in the Catholic Church, I was baptized. I was confirmed. But there was still no peace. I could recite the prayer book, the Catholic prayer book from front to back. I knew everything. There was absolutely still no peace. And then I came, a cousin of mine went to boarding school and came back with a small Bible. I'm not sure if it's a Gideon Bible. I'd never, I enjoyed reading as a kid, but we didn't have reading materials around. And up to today, if you go into my car, you always find books. I'm constantly, I always, there were no reading materials. With, and so every time I saw a book or something, I would take it, hide, and read it. And that's how, that's how we grew up. There were no libraries, nothing. And so when this cousin came from uh, boarding school with a small Bible, I stole his Bible. You know, and I'm not advocating stealing, but if you must steal, steal a Bible and read it. And I began reading the Bible. I began memorizing the Psalms behind, and I began finding so much solace, you know, reading them. And I will kneel in our Catholic tradition. I will kneel and read these Bibles with such reverence and I began finding peace. Then, while attending boarding school in 77 or so, somebody came and showed a Christian movie, and the title was Something to Live For. And he preached from the book of John. And when he came to verse 11, John chapter 1, 
He said, he came unto his own and his own did not know him. But as many as received him, he gave power to become sons of God. And that one verse will revolutionize my life. I invited, I remember crying that night. Not so much because I realized I was a sinner. I always knew I was a sinner. But because for 13 long years, absolutely nobody has shared the gospel with me. And I cried. I could not understand. And my life was radically changed. And within a short period, I began leading a group on campus. Uh, we have boarding school. Our system is a British system where you go to boarding school at the age of about uh, 10 or 11. And I began leading a group on campus. It was a Catholic school, but predominantly Muslim. And many of these young people began giving their lives to the Lord on a weekly basis. And the group grew to several hundred. We faced a lot of persecution from the Catholic as well as from the Muslims. But we grew. And by the age of 15, I was the president of this group called Fellowship of Christian Students. And by the age of 17, after graduating, I began pastoring and traveling. And at the age of about 20, as I sought the Lord on what to do with my life, God spoke to my heart, in my heart, that by virtue of what he had called me to do, I needed to go back to school. Uh, in those days, in the late 70s and early 80s, in our part of the world, most of us who were Christians felt Jesus' coming was imminent, and it was a waste going to college. Why well, spend four years in college when souls were perishing? So many of us who became Christians did not see a need for that, but God began dealing with me. And as I prayed and trusted the Lord, an opening came. I came across a small magazine, and I saw a school in outside Tyler, Texas, which I felt very strongly to apply. I applied. I didn't have the $15 application fee, but I applied, and I sent it in, and they wrote me back a few weeks later and said, you've been admitted. Uh, the tuition was this, this X amount of dollars. I didn't have it. I wrote back, and a few weeks later, they wrote back and said, somebody had paid for your tuition. You know, and how will I get here? I went to my uncle who had raised me. My uncle sold everything he could possibly sell, emptied his bank account, sold his motorcycle, which he had, and bought me a halfway ticket to New York. We thought America was one big city. And so I was going to Tyler. I landed in New York. I just knew if I landed in New York, and that's, that was where I had my first cultural shock. I landed in New York, then I found out. Tyler was somewhere in another state, in Texas, and, you know, and I slept at the airport for two days, but I knew I had this sense of peace that God was directing. And that's where I had my first cultural shock in New York, and I'm sure you can understand. I needed to use the restroom. In our part of the world, if you want to use the restroom, say, I want to ease myself or I want to relieve myself. So I walked up to a person, I said, I would like to relieve myself. And they said, yeah, right. You know, they just said a few curse words and left. I thought, maybe I'm not saying it well. So I went up to a lady, I said, I would like to ease myself. And they looked at me like, then I thought, maybe I'm not, they would say relief. And eventually a man understood, said, oh, you want to use, you want to go to the restroom? I said, no, I'm not trying to rest. I don't have money, you know. I came with less than, I didn't have any money on me. I said, I'm trying to ease myself. He said, you want to use the restroom? And we argued. I said, no. I thought restroom was a place where you rested because I was obviously tired. And I said, no. I thought it was a hotel. And when I couldn't hold it, I looked at this place he had pointed. I saw a small sign of a man and a woman like you have on the wall there. And I saw men and women going through a door. And I said, no, I'm a Christian. That's not what I'm here for, you know. And they were going in and coming out. 
And when I couldn't hold it, I kept going from all over the airport, and I kept seeing those doors, and I saw restroom, and I saw men and women going in and coming out. And I was just like, I heard this country was a den of iniquity, but I didn't know it was this bad. And when I couldn't hold it, I said, God, you know my heart. I'm just going to go in there, tell those women I'm a Christian, and all I want to do is ease myself. I went through the door, and I saw men going one way and women. And for a minute I stood. I didn't know what direction. But common sense told me to follow the man, and I'm glad I did. Uh, that was my first cultural experience. And then in New York, I kept, after the second day, I kept hearing my name on the intercom. I'd never traveled, never heard of anything like an intercom. There are things here that explaining to a third world person it doesn't make sense. And I kept hearing my name. And I, I thought God was speaking to me like little Samuel. And, and I will stay there quietly, you know, speak for thy servant, hear it. But nothing else. And a few minutes later, my name will come up. And so I turned to somebody. I said, look, I'm a Christian. And God has spoken to me in the past, but not this audibly. You know, I keep hearing my name and nothing else. And the guy said, okay, let's listen again. We listened again. I said, that's it. He said, oh, they're calling you on the intercom. And I'm thinking, what is the intercom? He explained. We listened again. He said, oh, they want you to come to the ticket counter. And so I went to the ticket counter, and lo and behold, there was a ticket there for me to fly to Dallas. To today, we don't know how that happened, but they just gave me a ticket. I flew to Dallas. And in those days, they had telephones at the airport I showed somebody when I landed in Dallas. He said, make a collect call to the school. I made a collect call, and a guy picked up this phone at the school. I think they were all waiting for me. And he said, hang on. And I'm thinking, hang? <laughs> How rude they are. He's telling me to hang. And he disappeared. And I, was, I held the phone. I'm thinking, hang on. My first day. And so finally the director, Lindsay Reed, came to the phone and he said, Oh, Ernest. And he said, I'll be there in two hours. And he came two hours later. He was at the airport to pick me up. I was obviously hungry. He took me to a small restaurant by the airport there. And he said, Ernest, will you like some hot dogs? <laughs> and for a minute I'm like, Wow. <laughs> We eat all kinds of things back home, but not dogs. My tribe doesn't eat dogs. <laughs> so I was, my mind was going, and I'm thinking, oh, Lord, how, how do I write back home and tell them I ate a dog? <laughs> you know. And I was thinking there were dogs that they were cooked and they were very hot. And, and I think he looked at my facial expression. I said, what about chicken sandwich? I never heard of that also, but I knew chicken was good. So I said, yes. So they gave me a small piece of chicken sandwich I ate. And I went to school and I started a rumor. And I told my other students, I said, do you guys eat dogs here? They said, no. I said, well, our director took me to a restaurant where they ate dogs. And it took me a year to finally understood what hot dogs were. And looking at me, you could tell I've had a few hot dogs, haven't you? <laughs> when I came, I was really skinny. But I went through college. God providentially provided. I left there again. A small church in Rosseville, Arkansas, uh, provided, heard about me, and they said, hey, we'll provide full scholarship for me to come to Arkansas Tech University. And I went there, 
with a goal of getting a PhD and returning home and teaching. And that's how I ended up in Arkansas. Finished school like most internationals. Uh, while going to Arkansas Tech, I never did it all my life. I was married at the age of about 40. Never really did it. Uh, a friend of mine, Tim, he, he teaches at Arkansas Tech now, Dr. Tim Carter, took me out on a double date. He said, let's go out on a date. He explained, you know, okay, no problem. So he went out to a Wendy's. That's what we could afford and uh, had some fries. And at 10 o'clock, my girl looked at me. She said, Ernest? I said, yes. She said, I've got to go home. I said, why? She said, my father will have a cow. <laughs> I'm thinking, wow. <laughs> and I thought for a minute, whoa. I knew they were rich, but I didn't know this was, they were this rich. If Pastor Kenny goes to the village with me, we'll probably kill a small chicken, but not a cow. <laughs> and uh, so those were some of my cultural experiences. It took me another year to understand what having a cow really is. And she wouldn't invite me. I was trying to invite myself so we could go eat the cow together. And she wouldn't. And I thought, man, these people are so selfish here. You know, when you kill a cow, you invite the whole village. And, uh, but I finished and began working in the corporate world, worked for Coca-Cola, worked for Ford Motor Company in Michigan. And then in 94, my uncle, who had given me his life-saving, died suddenly. And that's when my world came apart. And that was before the book, The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. I began asking those questions. Why am I here? What is the purpose for my existence? And that's when... God began speaking to me when he had sent me here that he has strategically positioned me like Joseph to be a bridge between our two nations. And I quit my job, gave up everything I had, a nice car, my home, and I was ready to move to Africa. Uh, but a couple of friends encouraged me to stay still for some time. So for a year I began fasting and praying and seeking God. And that's where our ministry was birthed. Uh, called Bread for Life, moved to Kerrville, Texas, and it's a long story. And we began, and I began traveling across the country, sharing uh, in churches and other. We didn't know any person, but sometimes a church of two members would invite me, but God would strategically began putting people like Pastor Kenny, and that's how we moved. I would travel from one end of the country to another. I drove through about 43 states. You know, sometimes you go here, you know, there, and God began opening doors, and uh, in the last eight years alone, we've planted over 20 churches in our part of the world, you know, and we could literally plant a church every day. The only way we could bring true change is when individuals are changed from within. We talk about change. In our part of the world, uh, two years ago, the government announced the creation of 25,000 jobs. You know how many people lined behind those jobs? Over 2.5 million people lined to get those jobs. 70% of our people are unemployed. So ministry will have to take more of a holistic approach, you know, where you're meeting uh, spiritual, the fiscal, as well as the social needs. And that's the uniqueness of what Bread for Life does. Uh, through our medical outreach alone, we've seen over uh, 10,000 people come to Christ just the last eight years. Through agricultural outreach, we even invited in Muslim villages to present the gospel. Planted a Baptist church in a village called Tissa several years ago. And the first Sunday, we had over 240 Muslim guys who became in a, in a village which was 99% Muslim because of what we taught. And so 
Uh, we're using some of these social programs to present the gospel. So if you're a farmer and you would like to come, I can tell you we, don't, we like white meat, but we've never eaten anybody yet. So, <laughs> so Pastor Kenneth can tell you. We're, we want to welcome you to come. Farmers, we've just bought about 250 acres of land that we're trying to develop. And already we've recently created over 35 jobs. Just And by the end of next year, the plantation should be able to pay for itself and, and we should be able to generate, uh, you know, what we're doing is basically wealth creation, not wealth redistribution or distribution like we hear from our other friends, you know. And so that's the only way. Uh, well, that's just a little bit of what we do. Uh, I've got our prayer card here for those of you who would like to pray for us on a regular basis. You're welcome to pick it up there. Then we've also got uh, something about our farm called Beulah Land Farm from Isaiah. We call it Beulah Land Farms, you know. And then uh, our Water for Life project that we've started. So you could pick both, put them around your refrigerator. So if you're like me, every time you go there, you could just say a prayer for us. And pray for my son who is uh, getting some medical attention, my two-year-old son who's getting some medical attention in uh, Washington, D.C. right now. I'll be leaving for Cameron either today or sometimes during the week. But continue to pray for us. Nothing of eternal significance happen apart from prayer. When people pray, things happen. So I want to encourage you to keep us in prayer. And if God lays it upon your heart to come, we really, one of the ways we do, we accomplish what we do is through short-term missions. When Pastor Owens was at uh, Earl's Grove, I think they sent several teams there and really made an impact for us. Uh, through that, a school was built, a small clinic, a church, and a wide range of other things. So we encourage short-term trips because when you go, three things basically happen. And that's how Jesus taught his disciples by sending them out. Your maximum growth, when you leave your comfort zone and you go, you grow, whether you like it or not. Then the maximum good of those you meet and ultimately the maximum glory of God. Uh, so want to encourage you to come on short-term James, just call me up if you need a video. I'll leave this video here for those of you who would like to show it. We have about five different videos on that. You know, a person put that together. You know, I'm not going to take much time. I'm just going to share a verse and we'll close. Uh, if you turn with me to the book of Isaiah, uh, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. And I'll share it very briefly because I know our time is fast gone. <clears throat> We'll read verse 11 and, 11 and 12. Simple verses. Uh, I think one of my favorite verse. We all, most of us know it. Jeremiah 29, 11. It says, I know the plans and the thoughts that I have for you. Plans for good and not for evil. To give you what? A hope and a future. Other version says to give you an expected end. But it doesn't end there. The verse continues. In verse 12, it says, And you will seek me and find me after you sought me with all your heart. I want to speak to us in this next three minutes on the subject, realizing God's plan. Realizing God's plan. God, in the next three minutes, I ask that you speak to me, speak through me. Let your spirit permeate this place, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You see, regardless of how high or low our perception of ourselves may be, whether you and I see ourselves as significant or insignificant, 
visible or invincible, important or unimportant, or regardless of how we've allowed situations, persons, or events to shape us, and they will shape us, it still doesn't take away from the fact that God has placed within each of us a vast deal of potential, reservoirs of riches, barrels of blessings, and gifts that will literally blow our minds off were we to discover just how much he has placed within us all. And like Lazarus, what God constantly engages his very self in trying to do is trying to bring forth the things he has placed within us all. He's constantly saying, come forth. Bring forth those things I have placed within you. Sadly, most of us will go through life never really realizing all that God has invested within us. Somebody was asked a question once, so what are the richest places on earth? And the answer was, the gold mines of South Africa, the oil places in Saudi Arabia, and the answer, that was not the answer. And they said, no, that's not the answer. The richest places in the world are the cemeteries. Not far from us. Therein are buried gifts. Books that were never written. Poems that were, music that were never composed. Inventions that never came to pass. Because we buried, we died with them. My subject again is realizing God's plan. God has not placed us here as mere biological happenstance. Each of us, he has strategically positioned us to make a difference in our world. David The psalmist knew that in Psalms 138 verse 8, David said, God will fulfill that which concerns me. In Psalms 139, David knew that. He said, God, while I was still in my mother's womb, you formed me, you fashioned me, you put all the paths together. Such knowledge is beyond my comprehension. And he said of David several hundred years after he died in Acts chapter 13 verse 36 that David, the writer, Dr. Luke, writing said, David, fulfilled the purposes of God in his generation. We have, we're not placed here as mere biological happenstance. God has a plan for each of our lives. And God wants to bring it to fruition. But God will only bring it to fruition as we align our lives with his. The word of the Lord came to the young prophet Jeremiah is coming to us today. And he says, the people of God were in captivity In Babylon, they were in disobedience to God. And every time they disobeyed, they would be sent into captivity. But even in their captivity, God's word came. And he said, I know the plans and the thoughts that I have for you. You think God only speaks to us or God only has plans when we're doing the right thing. No. Even in captivity, I don't know where you are in your walk and in relationship with God. But even regardless of where you are, God knows and he still says, I know the plans and the thoughts I have for you. The plans for good and not for evil to give you a hope and a future. And it continues to say, you will seek me and find me after you've sought me with all your heart. You ask me, Brother Ernest, how do I realize God's plan? Number one is to know him. Have a personal relationship with him. Oftentimes we're not effective in our service because we do not know him. You see, there's a, a progression. The more we know him, the more we're able to trust him. 
The more we trust him, the more we love him. The more we love him, the more we're effective in our service. You see, knowledge translates to trust. Trust translates to love, which in turn translates to service. The more we know him. The songwriter says, oh, for grace to trust him more. We're not effective in our service because we do not know him. When we know him and we know his character, we cannot help but trust him. One of the first Christian martyrs, uh, Polycap, when he was about to be burnt like they did in those early days in the stake, they said, deny him and we'll let you go. He looked at his, you know, his uh, persecutors. He said, 80 and 6 years have I known this man and he has never done me any harm but good. Why should I deny him? He was burnt. The more we know him, the more we trust him. The more we trust him, the more we love him. It's like any relationship, even in marriage. The more you know your spouse, trust comes as a result of knowledge. Knowledge, you know, trust, love comes again as a result of that trust and then service were effective. Get to know him. How do we know him? Through our relationship with him on a regular basis. I know time is gone and I want to come to the end of this message. And somebody said when a preacher says I'm coming to the end of my message, what does that mean? Absolutely nothing. (laughs) No, but I'm coming to the end, I promise. I love reading bumper stickers. And I've almost had several accidents trying to read a bumper sticker. You know, often I'm looking at them. Some are great, some are terrible, but I just love reading them. And when I first came into this country, I would just drive behind. When I saw the ones that say, honk, if you love Jesus, man, I would just go behind those guys and pop, 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 and people would get excited. I thought they were excited for the Lord. I did not know there were other things. And some of them would just start jumping and raising their hands and I thought they were praising the Lord you know then uh, there was a day one of them did that and I got excited too and I thought wow another Christian honk if you love Jesus I went behind and he just was raising his hand so I went beside him I did it again and the guy did one of those raising of his hand again and then he sped up boom and I said wow this is weird then I went to work and I explained it to my boss. And I, my boss said, how was he doing it? I showed my boss. And my boss said, that is not good. And as he explained to me. So, so uh, from that day, I stopped. I don't do the honking again when I see those signs. But one of my favorite bumper stickers is the one that says, think globally, act locally. It's an environmental bumper sticker. But I think they got that from Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And you'll receive power, and you'll be my witness in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. God has called us to realize his plans. To be witnesses, it begins here, and then to Judea, our neighbors, to Samaritan, to Samaria, and to the uttermost part. It all begins here. Can you imagine if each of us would take his commandment seriously, the impact we can have on our world?
God did not just give us a great commission, which some have said is a great omission, but he gave us also with the great commission, he gave us a great promise. And lo, and I will be with you always, even to the ends of the earth. I was telling somebody, trying to get them to come on a short-term mission, and he says, man, I don't like flying. And the last time I checked, God says, and lo, I will be with you. He didn't say hi. So, <laughs> you know, but that's not what <laughs> that passage said. You know, you will only experience his promises as you take steps of faith and go. And you take the great commission literally. Lo, I will be with you always. With the great commission also came the great promise. It's only in going that we experience his great promises. And I could tell you stories here that will blow your minds. I was with Joel Slayton and his wife yesterday, and we're just reminiscing about the goodness of God. And I was telling them some of these stories, but you only experience them as you go. Let's pray. Fill my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. Come and quench this thirsting of my soul. Bread of heaven, fill me till I want no more. Fill my cup, fill it up, and make me whole. Father, that's our prayer this morning, that you fill us up again. Fill us afresh. We lick. I realize we lick, but we need to be filled again. Encourage us, O God, as we go home. Fill us up. Make us witness. and Help us to realize your plan. Thank you for this great church. Bless your people. Make them people who will make a difference in this community and beyond. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.